Welcome to HackerCast, an end-to-end AI-generated podcast summary of Hacker News. I'm your host, GPT-4. HackerCast is available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts as well as our website, camrobjones.com hackercast. Today is October 20th, 2023. Let's get started. Part 1. Favorites. 1. How we made PostgreSQL a better vector database. From. The Timescale blog has published several articles discussing the launch and features of Timescale Vector, a new product that enhances PostgreSQL for production AI applications. The product improves upon Vector by providing faster search, higher recall, and more efficient time-based filtering. It also introduces a new indexing technique that improves Vector search speed and accuracy. The articles highlight the importance of Vector data in large language models and the challenges developers face in choosing a database for Vector data. Timescale Vector is presented as a solution, offering robustness, familiarity, and a simplified AI application stack. The articles also provide benchmarking results, showing that Timescale Vector outperforms other databases and indexes in terms of speed, accuracy, and index size. The product is currently available in early access on Timescale's cloud data platform. 2. First Word Discovered an Unopened Herculaneum Scroll by CS Student from ScrollPrize.org The Vesuvius Challenge, a competition offering a $700,000 prize for the development of open-source tools to read ancient scrolls, has seen significant progress with the discovery of the first word in an unopened Herculaneum scroll by 21-year-old computer science student, Luke Ferreter. The Herculaneum papyri, carbonized by the eruption of Vesuvius in 79 AD, were excavated in the 1700s but have remained unreadable due to their fragility. Ferreter's discovery, which won him a $40,000 prize, was followed by contestant Yusuf Nader's independent discovery of the same word, earning him a $10,000 prize. The article also discusses the history of the challenge, which began in 2019 when Professor Brent Seals imaged Herculaneum scrolls using a particle accelerator. The article concludes by encouraging readers to get involved in the ongoing challenge, with the $700,000 grand prize still up for grabs. 3. Scroll bars are becoming a problem from Artemis.sh. Artemis Everfree, a tech enthusiast and blogger, has penned a passionate plea for the preservation and improvement of scroll bars in her article Scroll Bars Are Becoming a Problem. She argues that the trend of making scroll bars smaller, or even hiding them, is not just a design issue, but a significant accessibility problem. Everfree points out that many people, including those with fine motor control issues or those using less precise pointing devices like eye trackers, rely on scroll bars for navigation. She cites a post from 2015 discussing the same problem, lamenting that little has improved since then. The author also criticizes the disappearance of buttons for incremental scrolling, which she says were not dependent on what content is in focus, unlike arrow keys. Everfree then dives into specific software, starting with GTK. She notes that while in GTK2, scroll bar widths could be modified directly, in GTK3, this requires understanding of CSS. She provides a script that can be used to modify scroll bar width and visibility. She also criticizes the trend of hiding scroll bars until you hover over them, which can be reversed in GTK3 with a specific command line command. In her analysis of Qt, Everfree points out that the width of Qt scroll bars is determined by the Qt widget style plugin in use. She recommends Quantum, which allows disabling of scroll bar disappearing, and Sculpture, which allows configurable sizes. However, she notes that the latter may not be user-friendly without using KDE Plasma. Everfree also discusses Firefox, which she says has joined the war on scroll bars with a tiny scroll bar. However, she provides a workaround using the About Config settings. 
She also mentions Chrome and Electron apps, expressing frustration at the lack of configurability in these platforms. In conclusion, Everfree champions the use of Minimaps, which she says are loved by her and her friends who use eye trackers and tablet pens. She praises their large hit target and the ability to see and navigate to the content directly. This article is a call to action for software developers and designers to consider accessibility and user preferences in their design choices. It highlights the importance of seemingly minor features like scroll bars in creating an inclusive and user-friendly digital environment. 4. Chat GPT System Prompts from GitHub.com This GitHub repository, created by users Dustin, is dedicated to exploring the system prompts used in ChatGPT, specifically in the context of the ChatGPT Auto Expert project. The repository provides a behind-the-scenes look at how these system messages influence custom instructions, with the author noting that they have been particularly useful in their work on the ChatGPT Auto Expert custom instructions and supporting package. The repository contains a series of examples, all from GPT-4, which are divided into their own markdown files for clarity. These examples cover a range of topics, including baseline GPT-4, advanced data analysis, browse with Bing, DAL-E, mobile app, iOS, mobile app, Android, plugins, example, Zapier, Vision, and voice conversation. The repository also includes a section dedicated to custom instructions. In essence, this repository serves as a valuable resource for those interested in understanding the inner workings of ChatGPT and how system prompts can be utilized to enhance custom instructions. It provides a detailed and organized collection of examples, making it a useful reference for developers and AI enthusiasts alike. 5. Write more useless software from Tietz.com. Penned by Nicole, a software engineer and technologist, the article titled Write More Useless Software is a passionate plea to her peers to embrace the joy of creating software that may not necessarily have a practical application. Nicole starts by addressing a question she was asked about her last blog post on a software called Hurl. Why? Her response is simple, for the joke. She elaborates that creating software that may seem useless is a fantastic way to explore and experience the joy of computing. She argues that the pressure to constantly produce useful, problem-solving software can extinguish the spark of joy that many programmers initially found in their craft. To counter this, Nicole advocates for the creation of useless software as a form of play and a way to reignite that joy. She emphasizes that when you're creating something just for fun, you're free from obligations. You can stop anytime, skip writing tests, ditch the issue tracker, and abandon the project if it's not fun anymore. To illustrate her point, Nicole shares examples of useless software she's created, including a bug-riddled chess engine, a key value store that mimics part of Redis's API, a wake-on-LAN utility, and a visualization of chess games. Each of these projects, while not necessarily practical, provided her with valuable learning experiences and a chance to play with her craft. In conclusion, Nicole asserts that creating useless software is a tremendous way to learn and derive joy from just playing with computers. She ends by revealing that Hurl, the software she mentioned in her last blog post, is a form of play. It may not be useful, but she'll probably learn something from it and definitely have fun in the process. Nicole's article is a refreshing reminder to technologists that not all software needs to solve a problem or be useful in the traditional sense. It underscores the importance of play in maintaining passion for one's craft and suggests that the creation of useless software can be a valuable learning experience and a source of joy. 6. What is the demo scene? An interview from onthearts.com. The article What is the demo scene? On On the Arts website features an interview with Philippe Cruz, a longtime participant in the demo scene, a digital art subculture. 
The demo scene community showcases their machine's capabilities through audiovisual presentations known as demos. Originating from the game piracy scene in the late 80s, it evolved into a more artistic focus with gatherings known as demo parties. Cruz explains that demos are created for artistic reasons and to push computer hardware limitations. The demo scene has been recognized as intangible culture by UNESCO in some countries. Cruz, active in the demo scene since 1997, also runs a YouTube channel about the demo scene and recommends resources for those interested in joining. 7. Frasier Fantasy from Edward La Barbera.itch.io. The article discusses a game called Frasier Fantasy created by Edward La Barbera and available on itch.io. The game, a tribute to the TV show Frasier, is a turn-based RPG that allows players to experience an evening as the character Dr. Frasier Crane. The game controls include the use of arrow keys or was to move, with J and K serving as A and B respectively, return to start, and shift to select. It has received a rating of 4.9 out of 5 stars and has received positive feedback from users. The creator has expressed his gratitude for the positive feedback and his wish to create physical game assets if he had the rights to Frasier. The article also includes a series of comments and replies from a community page on itch.io, where users have praised the game and the developer has responded to their comments. 8. The Whole of the Whole Earth Catalog is now online from Wired.com. The article announces that the Whole Earth Catalog, a seminal DIY catalog, journal, and magazine, is now available online for free. The Whole Earth Catalog was founded 55 years ago by counterculture icon Stuart Brand and has been made available online for the first time. The restoration project was led by Barry Thru, the executive director of the San Francisco Art Collective Gray Area, in association with the Long Now Foundation and the Internet Archive, which is hosting the digital collection. The collection includes the Whole Earth publications that followed in the Wexstead, such as Coevolution Quarterly, the Whole Earth Review, and Whole Earth Software Review. The collection does not include a few stray publications, such as the first issue of the Whole Earth Catalog. However, the plan is for everything to be included eventually. Another article discusses the new image analysis update for OpenAI's chatbot, ChatGPT. The author describes the update as both impressive and frightening, and provides guidance on how to use it, along with advice for conducting experiments. The article also includes links to other related articles on the site. 9. Stockata, an app I designed, built and never launched from paulstamashu.com. The article by Paul Stamatiu details his experience developing Stockata, a stock portfolio tracker app designed for casual investors. Stamatiu began the project in March 2020, dedicating 10 to 20 hours a week for over two years. Despite the significant time and effort, he decided to stop pursuing the project. Stockata was designed to provide real per-transaction gain-slash-loss info based on the user's own cost basis, with a focus on a simple, well-designed interface. Stamatiu used Swift and Swift UI for development and created a back-end proxy for the API with rate-limiting and throttling. The app offered a range of features, including various cost basis methods, customizable stock card display settings, widgets, and a search feature. Despite positive feedback from testers, Stamatiu faced challenges with the quality of financial data and the high cost of accessing a stock market data API, which led to his decision to halt the project. 10. What happened to blogging for the hell of it? From blog.wina.me. Penned by a newcomer to the blogging scene, this post on the Viwi blog delves into the author's frustration with the commercialization of blogging. The author, who started blogging on a whim, was taken aback by the overwhelming emphasis on profitability and traffic generation in the blogging sphere. The author's journey began with a passionate post about mobile web design and disability. 
However, when they sought inspiration for future posts, they were met with a deluge of capitalist buzzwords and business-focused prompts. From profitable blog niche ideas to blog post ideas to drive traffic, the author found that even personal, creative, or fun blog topics were often tied to business, productivity, and social media. The author laments the transformation of blogging into a numbers game, where success is measured in dollars earned or followers gained. They express their disdain for the idea of converting readers into customers and the incessant push for monetization. The author rejects the notion that the ultimate goal of blogging should be to make money or gain followers. They express a desire to continue writing about topics they are passionate about, rather than focusing on monetization or follower growth. In conclusion, the author criticizes the capitalist influence on blogging, expressing their intention to continue writing about topics that ignite their passion, rather than succumbing to the pressure to monetize or gain followers. This post serves as a poignant reminder of the pervasive influence of capitalism in digital spaces, even those traditionally seen as outlets for personal expression and creativity. It underscores the tension between creative freedom and commercial pressures in the digital age. 11. Superlinear Returns from PaulGraham.com The article Superlinear Returns by Paul Graham explores the concept of superlinear returns, where rewards for effort and performance increase exponentially rather than linearly. Graham argues that this concept is not just a feature of capitalism but a characteristic of the world, evident in various fields such as business, fame, power, and knowledge. He identifies exponential growth and thresholds as the two fundamental causes of superlinear returns. The author advises ambitious individuals to understand and leverage this concept by choosing work that compounds and continuously learning. He also discusses the changing landscape of work and the decreasing importance of organizations. The article also acknowledges the role of luck and the correlation between superlinear returns and inequality. The author concludes by emphasizing the dynamic nature of superlinear returns and the importance of curiosity in entering this territory. 12. You're not lacking creativity, you're overwhelmed from newsletter.thedragemedina.com. Jorge Medina, in his article You're Not Lacking Creativity, You're Overwhelmed, discusses the impact of digital hoarding on creativity. He argues that the vast amount of online content leads to decision paralysis and fatigue, affecting our creative capacity. Medina emphasizes the role of curation in the creative process and suggests building a curation system to manage information overload. He recommends the second brain and para frameworks, and tools like Apple Notes, Notion, and Obsidian. Medina encourages transitioning from passive consumers to active curators to foster creativity. His writings aim to help readers improve their curation, ideation, and creation to thrive in the creator economy. 13. The Compact Calendar 2023-2024 from davidsaid.com The Compact Calendar 2023-2024, created by Zrishia, is a unique tool that presents days as a continuous candy bar of time, allowing users to visualize the year intuitively. The calendar is designed to make it easier to count out days naturally, without the gaps that traditional calendars have between weeks. The Compact Calendar is versatile and can be used for a variety of purposes, from planning project milestones to estimating the gestation period of pregnant animals. The calendar is printable and can fit an entire year on a single sheet of paper, making it a handy tool for quick reference during planning meetings or for jotting down notes. The calendar is available in several downloadable packages, including Excel templates that users can modify to suit their needs. For example, users can change the starting date to generate a new calendar for any year, and can also customize the calendar to include their own holidays. The Excel templates come in three different week styles, week starting on Monday, week starting on Sunday, and week starting on Saturday. The compact calendar is not just a static document, but a dynamic tool that users can adapt to their own needs. 
It requires Microsoft Excel 2007 or better to modify the calendar's XLTX files. The download comes as a zip archive containing three Excel 2007 templates and six PDF versions, for all three-week styles in both A4 and U.S. letter sizes. In conclusion, the Compact Calendar 2023-2024 by Zrishia is a unique and versatile tool that offers a fresh perspective on time management and planning. Its intuitive design and customizable features make it a valuable resource for anyone looking to streamline their scheduling and planning processes. This innovative approach to visualizing time could potentially revolutionize the way we plan and organize our days, weeks, and months. It's a simple yet powerful tool that could make a big difference in productivity and time management. Part 2, Show HN. 1. Firefox add-on to open YouTube videos and alternative front ends from github.com. The text is a description of a Firefox add-on called it Siphon from its GitHub repository. Developed by a user named Dever, the add-on allows users to open YouTube videos and alternative frontends like Piped. The add-on was created in response to YouTube's crackdown on ad blocker usage. It has been starred 260 times and forked 7 times on GitHub, indicating its popularity. The add-on, licensed under the MIT license, can be installed either from the Mozilla add-on site or manually from a cloned repository. It is primarily written in JavaScript, 85.3%, and HTML, 14.7%. The add-on's key features include the ability to open the current YouTube video in the user's chosen front-end using the shortcut Alt plus J, and the ability to open a video in the configured front-end in a new tab by using Shift plus click while on YouTube. 2. Piped, an alternative privacy-friendly YouTube front-end from GitHub.com. The Piped project, hosted on GitHub by Team Piped, is a privacy-friendly alternative to YouTube. The open-source project has received significant attention with over 6.2k stars and 485 forks. It offers features such as no ads, no tracking, infinite scrolling, light-slash-dark themes, login, feeds, playlists, 4k support, and more. The project has been updated and modified numerous times, with changes to various files including the Docker file, license, readme.md file, and others. The project encourages contributions and provides detailed instructions for those interested in contributing. It also offers several ways for interested parties to join their public chat rooms and communities. The project is licensed under the AGPL 3.0 license and has a code of conduct. 3. Autotab, an AI-powered Chrome extension to create Selenium scripts from autotab.com. Autotab is a tool designed to facilitate the creation of browser automation swiftly. The platform, backed by Y Combinator, allows users to build AI agents that can perform mundane, real-world tasks. The service is currently in its beta phase, and users can get started for free via their GitHub page. The main function of Autotab is to automate browser tasks, which it achieves by enabling users to build AI agents. These agents can be programmed to perform a variety of tasks, such as filling out forms, navigating websites, or even scraping data. The platform is designed to be user-friendly, allowing even those with limited coding experience to create their own automations. In essence, Autotab is a tool that can help streamline repetitive tasks, freeing up time for more complex and creative endeavors. Its significance lies in its potential to increase productivity and efficiency, particularly for those who frequently engage with browser-based tasks. 4. Interactive Italian Poetry for English Speakers from ItalianPoetry.it ItalianPoetry.it is a unique online resource designed to bridge the gap between Italian poetry and English-speaking audiences. The creator of the website has designed it as a tool for English speakers to experience the rhythm and beauty of Italian poetry, even if they don't speak the language. 
The website offers a selection of Italian poems, recited aloud for auditory appreciation. It also provides an easy way to toggle between English and Italian translations, eliminating the need for a separate dictionary. The site offers context on the choice of vocabulary and a guide to the most salient technical aspects of the Italian language. However, the website doesn't aim to offer literary criticism or structured lessons in the history of Italian literature, but rather, it serves as a platform for the appreciation of the art form. The latest published poems on the site range from works by Giacomo Leopardi from 1820 to Cristina Campo from 1956, showcasing a broad spectrum of Italian poetic history. In essence, ItalianPoetry.it is a significant tool for English speakers to immerse themselves in Italian poetry, offering a unique blend of auditory and textual resources to enhance understanding and appreciation. It's a testament to the universal appeal of poetry, transcending language barriers and cultural differences. Part 3. Code. 1. Reflect, multiplayer web app framework with game-style synchronization from RoshiCorp.dev. The article, penned by the team at RoshiCorp, introduces Reflect, a new tool designed to streamline the creation of multiplayer web applications. Reflect is an evolution of Replicate, RoshiCorp's existing client-side sync framework, and it brings game-style state synchronization to the web. Reflect addresses the challenge of collaborative editing, which inevitably involves conflicts due to the limitations of how fast information can travel. To ensure a responsive UI, changes must happen locally on the client, but this can lead to conflicts when multiple users are editing the same thing simultaneously. Reflect uses a method called transactional conflict resolution to synchronize these conflicting edits, ensuring all users see the same thing and conflicts are resolved in a way that feels natural. Unlike other popular data sync methods in the web ecosystem, such as CRDTs, conflict-free replicated data types, Reflect uses a technique called server reconciliation, which has been popular in the video game industry for years. The unique benefits of Reflect stem from this core choice. The article provides a detailed explanation of how Reflect works, using the example of implementing a counter. It explains that in Reflect, changes are implemented using special JavaScript functions called mutators. When a user makes a change, Reflect creates a mutation, a record of a mutator being called. This mutation is applied locally, and the UI updates. The mutations are then streamed to the server, which applies them to create the next authoritative state. The article argues that the payoff of using Reflect is that it generalizes, meaning that once it's in place, many things just work. It provides examples of arithmetic and list operations that work seamlessly with Reflect. Reflect also offers fine-grained authorization, allowing the server to execute a mutation however it wants. This means that the server can consult external services or even roll dice. The server is the authority, and all clients see the result of its computation. In conclusion, the article suggests that the choice of sync strategy is the heart of any multiplayer system, and Reflect's approach of transactional conflict resolution is simple, flexible, and powerful. The significance of this tool is that it offers a new and efficient way to build multiplayer web applications. It simplifies the process of managing data synchronization and conflict resolution, making it easier for developers to create collaborative web apps. 2. Better HTTP Server Routing in Go 1.22 from Eli.TheGreenPlace.net Penned by Eli Bendersky, this article delves into the anticipated improvements in HTTP Server Routing in Go 1.22. The author discusses the enhancements to the pattern matching capabilities of the default HTTP Serving Multiplexer in the Net-HTTP package, which is expected to bridge the gap from third-party packages by providing advanced matching. The existing multiplexer, http.servemux, offers basic path matching, but not much beyond that. 
This limitation has led to a proliferation of third-party libraries to implement more powerful capabilities. The new multiplexer in 1.22, however, is expected to significantly enhance these capabilities. Benderski provides a quick introduction to the new multiplexer, MUX, and revisits an example from his REST servers in Go series to compare how the new SLIB MUX fares against Gorilla MUX. The author provides a code snippet to demonstrate some of the new pattern matching capabilities of the MUX. He highlights two new features, the explicit specification of the HTTP method as part of the pattern, and the support for a wildcard in the second path component. He also discusses the detailed and helpful error messages in case of conflicts in complex registration schemes. Bendersky then revisits his task server from the REST servers in Go series and re-implements it using the enhanced MUX from Go 1.22. He provides code samples and discusses how the new MUX allows for more sophisticated routing, freeing the handlers from many routing decisions. In conclusion, Bendersky believes that the enhancements in Go 1.22 will shift the common answers to the question which router package should I use? For beginner Go programmers. While some may stick to familiar third-party packages, many will find the new SLIB MUX sufficient for their needs. This is a positive change for all Go users, making the standard library more capable and beneficial for the entire community. In essence, this article signifies the evolution of Go's HTTP server routing, highlighting the anticipated improvements in Go 1.22 that will enhance pattern matching capabilities, thereby reducing reliance on third-party libraries. This development is expected to streamline the process for Go programmers, particularly beginners, and contribute to the overall growth of the Go community. 3. Postgres.js, PostgreSQL client for Node.js and Dino from GitHub.com. The article provides a comprehensive overview of the GitHub repository for the project Postgres.js, a PostgreSQL client for Node.js, Dino, Bun, and Cloudflare. Managed by user Porager, the repository is popular and actively maintained with a variety of features and tools for users to interact with. The repository includes a variety of files and directories, with the latest commit made by the repository owner on October 10, 2023. The repository also includes a license, specifically the unlicensed license, allowing unrestricted use, modification, and distribution of the software. The article also details a series of updates and changes to the codebase, including fixes, enhancements, and new features. It mentions multiple authors who contributed to these updates, and provides a list of features and functionalities of the Postgres project. The article provides a detailed guide on how to use Postgres.js, from installation to executing queries, building queries, handling errors, and using advanced query methods. It also explains how to use various features of Postgres.js, such as handling rows returned by a query one by one, using a file for a query with optional parameters, executing multiple statements in one query, and using Postgres.js to support copy, queries. The guide also covers how to use transactions, transform data, and use the unsafe function. 4. SSH Audit, SSH Server and Client Security Auditing from GitHub.com The article discusses the GitHub repository SSH Server and Client Security Auditing by Usage Testa. The repository, which has been starred 2.6k times and forked 136 times, is for auditing the security of SSH servers and clients. It focuses on aspects such as banner, key exchange, encryption, MAC, compression, compatibility, security, and more. The repository has several directories and files, each with its own set of updates and changes. The repository also provides options to clone the repository using HTTPS or GitHub CLI, open with GitHub Desktop, or download as a zip file. The article also details the SSH audit tool, 
which is used for auditing SSH server and client configurations. The tool has several features, including SSH1 and SSH2 protocol server support, the ability to analyze SSH client configuration, and the ability to gather key exchange, host key, encryption, and message authentication code algorithms. The usage of the tool is explained in detail, with various options and flags provided for different functionalities. The article provides screenshots of the tool's output when auditing various systems and guides to harden server and client configurations. Pre-built packages of the tool are available for Windows, PyPy, Snap, and Docker. A web front-end on top of the command line tool is also available for convenience. The article concludes with a changelog, detailing the updates and improvements made in the latest version, v3.0.0, of the tool. These include fixing bugs, refining tests, adding new host keys and key exchanges, and creating multi-arch builds for Docker. The text also includes a detailed list of updates and changes made to a software or system, possibly related to cybersecurity or encryption. Key updates include the addition of new ciphers, key exchanges, Macs, and host keys. The software also drops support for Python 3.6, as it reached its end-of-life, EOL, at the end of 2021. New features were added, such as G and GEX test for granular GEX modulus size tests. The JSON target field now always includes the port number, and JSON output now includes recommendations and CVE data. 5. Why Async Rust? From without.boats. The article Why Async Rust? discusses the evolution and implementation of async-slash-await syntax in the Rust programming language. The author, who was involved in the design of this syntax, explains that the initial release was met with mixed reactions due to its complexity. The article delves into the technical details of Rust's async-slash-await syntax, explaining its stackless coroutine approach and the debate around it. The author discusses the shift from green threads to async-slash-await syntax, the challenges faced during this transition, and the development of the future trait. The article also covers the shift to external iterators and the move from a continuation passing style for futures to a readiness-based approach. The author concludes by discussing the organizational considerations that led to these changes and acknowledges that while async-slash-await has been successful, there are still complaints about the ecosystem being too centered on it. 6. Learn Wayland by writing a GUI from scratch from godier.github.io. The articles provide comprehensive guides on the Wayland protocol, a specification for GUI applications, and how to build a Wayland compositor and a simple GUI program from scratch. The first article, Wayland from Scratch, hosted on Godier's personal blog, explains the basics of Wayland and delves into the technical aspects of building a Wayland compositor. The second article, Learn Wayland by Writing a GUI from Scratch, explains how to create a simple GUI program with Wayland without using any libraries. The author provides a step-by-step -step guide on how to create a GUI with Wayland, starting with opening a Unix domain socket, creating a registry, and writing serialization and deserialization functions. The articles also include code snippets and detailed explanations of how to handle messages and react to events, create buffers and shared memory files, and interact with a Wayland display server. Part 4. Data 1. MasterCard Should Stop Selling Our Data from F.org The article, MasterCard Should Stop Selling Our Data by Haley Tsukayama, published on the Electronic Frontier Foundation's EFF website, criticizes MasterCard's data collection and selling practices. The EFF has joined a campaign by the U.S. Public Interest Research Group, U.S. PIRG, to urge MasterCard to limit its data collection and stop selling cardholder information. The article emphasizes that MasterCard's data monetization strategies, which include analyzing and categorizing cardholders' shopping habits, undermine the trust people place in traditional financial institutions.
the EFF calls on MasterCard to respect cardholder privacy and change its data practices. The article also provides an overview of the EFF website, including its resources, updates, donation options, legal information, and website analytics. 2. Encrypting private data and private communications is now an ethical duty from blog.tripu.info. Penned by an anonymous author on blog.tripu.info, the article titled Encrypt. Now is a passionate call to arms for the widespread adoption of end-to-end encryption for all private data and communications. The author argues that this is not merely an ethical option, but an ethical duty. The author begins by painting a vivid picture of a hypothetical law that mandates all buildings to have glass walls, thereby stripping away privacy under the guise of crime prevention. This analogy is used to illustrate the dangers of mass surveillance and the erosion of privacy in the digital realm. The author argues that just as we would resist such a law in the physical world, we should resist similar invasions of privacy in the digital world. The author then highlights the European Commission's proposal for a regulation of the European Parliament and of the Council laying down rules to prevent and combat child sexual abuse as an example of a real-world threat to privacy. This proposal, according to the author, is akin to the hypothetical glass wall law, and poses a significant threat to privacy. The author advocates for the use of encryption tools such as PGP, SSL, VPNs, Tor, and others, as well as the adoption of privacy-focused services like ProtonMail and Signal. The author argues that these tools should not be seen as optional extras for tech enthusiasts, but as essential tools for everyone. The author also calls for the widespread adoption of ad blocking, URL cleansing, and third-party cookie rejection. In conclusion, the author argues that the use of encryption and privacy tools is a form of civil disobedience against unjust laws that infringe on privacy. The author believes that if a significant number of people adopt these tools, it would be impossible for laws like the European Commission's proposal to be enforced. In essence, this article is a rallying cry for the protection of digital privacy. It underscores the importance of encryption and privacy tools in safeguarding our rights in an increasingly digital world. The author's call to action is clear. Encrypt. Now. 3. Time GPT-1 from archive.org. Penned by Azul Garza and Max Mergenthaler Conseco, the paper introduces Time GPT, a pioneering foundation model for time series analysis. The model is designed to generate accurate predictions for a variety of datasets, even those not encountered during training. In the paper, the authors compare Time GPT's performance against established statistical, machine learning, and deep learning methods. The results demonstrate that Time GPT's zero-shot inference excels in terms of performance, efficiency, and simplicity. The authors argue that this provides compelling evidence that insights from other domains of artificial intelligence can be effectively applied to time series analysis. The paper concludes with the assertion that large-scale time series models, such as Time GPT, present an exciting opportunity to democratize access to precise predictions and reduce uncertainty. This is achieved by leveraging the capabilities of contemporary advancements in deep learning. In essence, the Time GPT-1 paper is a significant contribution to the field of machine learning and time series analysis. It not only introduces a new model but also demonstrates how cross-domain insights can enhance performance in time series analysis. The potential democratization of precise predictions could have far-reaching implications for numerous sectors that rely on forecasting. 4. Causal Inference as a Blind Spot of Data Scientists from JDAS.com the article by Jdas Martinades on Jdas.com discusses the importance of causal inference in data science. The author explains that causal inference, which involves making inferences about cause and effect relationships, was not prioritized in the data science community until around 2015. 
The article highlights the work of Judea Pearl in the development of causal inference frameworks. The author uses an analogy of a parallel world to explain the concept and discusses various methods of causal inference analysis, including linear regression, causal graphical models, instrumental variable, difference in differences, and synthetic control. The article also introduces the double ML method, which is based on machine learning modeling. The author concludes by providing resources for further exploration of causal inference. 5. Joining CSV data without SQL, an IP geolocation use case from brimdata.io. The article by Phil Zhevsky on BrimData's website discusses the process of joining CSV data without using SQL, using the Z project as an alternative. The author demonstrates how to use Z to examine and search GeoLite 2 data from MaxMind, and how to join this data to city data. The author also explains how to use ZLake to store and query data efficiently. The use of Z can save time by eliminating the need to install database software, define tables, and load CSV files. The article also discusses how to store CSV inputs in Z's blocks and locations, and how to execute a query using the Z query command. The author concludes by encouraging readers to explore Z further and provides links to various resources. The article is aimed at those who need a one-shot query result or are looking to build a reusable production data pipeline. Part 5. Design. 1. Anything longer ago than yesterday should just say the actual date from Grumpy.website. Penned by Nikita Prokopov, this post on Grumpy website takes a critical look at the common practice of timestamping digital content with labels such as yesterday, two days ago, or a week ago. Prokopov argues that these labels, while seemingly user-friendly, are misleading and often inaccurate. He points out that for humans, yesterday refers to the entire day before today, not the past 24 hours as computers interpret it. This discrepancy, coupled with inconsistent calculations of yesterday across different platforms, erodes user trust and diminishes the usefulness of these labels. Prokopov also criticizes the use of vague terms like last week slash month slash year, urging instead for the use of specific dates. In essence, this post is a call for more human-centric design in digital interfaces. It underscores the importance of aligning technological interpretations with human understanding to foster trust and enhance user experience. 2. Commercially available chairs in Star Trek from exostriescientia.org. The article Exostriescientia, commercially available chairs in Star Trek by Bernd Schneider provides a comprehensive list of commercially available chairs featured in various Star Trek productions. The list includes office chairs, lounge chairs, and car seats, among others, each with their name, appearance in the Star Trek universe, the episode or movie it was featured in, and additional comments about the design and history of the chair. The article also highlights the frequent reuse of these chairs across different sets and episodes, making them some of the most frequently seen pieces of furniture in the Star Trek universe. Part 6. Books. 1. Introduction to Modern Statistics from OpenIntroIMS2.netlify.app. Penned by Mind Chetting Kaya Rundle and Joanna Hardin, The Introduction to Modern Statistics, 2nd ed., is an upcoming textbook from the Open Intro Project. The website provides a comprehensive overview of the book's content, which is currently under construction and is slated for release in spring 2024. The book is organized into several sections, each focusing on a specific aspect of modern statistics. It begins with an introduction to data, followed by exploratory data analysis, regression modeling, foundations of inference, statistical inference, and inferential modeling. Each section is further divided into subtopics, providing a detailed exploration of each concept. For instance, the section on regression modeling covers linear regression with a single predictor, linear regression with multiple predictors, logistic regression, and applications of these models. 
In addition to the main content, the website also provides appendices with exercise solutions and references. The authors encourage feedback on the work-in-progress second edition and have provided a link to report any typos or issues. The textbook and its supplements, including slides, labs, and interactive tutorials, will be available for free download. This textbook is a derivative of Open Intro Statistics 4th Edition and Introduction to Statistics with Randomization and Simulation 1st Edition by Dies, Barr, and Chetin Kaya Rundle, and it's available under a Creative Commons Attribution Share or like 3.0 Unported United States License. The significance of this resource lies in its comprehensive approach to modern statistics, making it a valuable tool for those looking to deepen their understanding of the subject. Its open-source nature and the commitment to free access further underscore its potential impact in the field of statistical education. 2. The Razor-Edge Book of Sharpening, 1985, PDF, from sharpeninghandbook.info. The provided text appears to be a corrupted or encoded file, possibly a PDF, filled with non-alphabetic and non-numeric characters, symbols, and other unrecognizable elements. It lacks coherent sentences, ideas, or points that could be summarized, making it impossible to provide a meaningful summary or extract any relevant information. The URL suggests the original document may be related to knife sharpening, but no further details can be confirmed. 3. Microsoft AI Records 5K Audiobooks for Project Gutenberg from the Newstack.io The article discusses Microsoft's use of artificial intelligence, AI, to create 5,000 audiobooks for Project Gutenberg, a free ebook site. The AI reads aloud various works of literature, including classics like Edgar Allan Poe's Tales, Frankenstein, and Shakespeare's Macbeth. This development represents a significant evolution for Project Gutenberg, increasing the accessibility of its vast collection of literature. The article also lists other articles published on the new Stack website, covering a range of topics related to software development, platform engineering, and technology. The article further delves into the technical aspects of the project, explaining how Microsoft used Synapse ML with Apache Spark on Azure Synapse Analytics to generate the audiobooks. Despite some limitations, the AI technology is open source and available for others to use or enhance. The researchers aim to create free audiobooks for all 60,000 ebooks on Project Gutenberg and are working on features to make the AI reading more lifelike and engaging. Part 7 Working 1. Interviews in the Age of AI Ditch Leet Code, try code reviews instead from chrlschn.dev. In this thought-provoking piece, Charles Chen, at chrlschn, challenges the conventional wisdom of using Leet Code exercises as a primary tool for evaluating technical candidates. He argues that in the age of AI-generated code, the ability to review and critique code is becoming more valuable than simply being able to write it. Chen begins by questioning the efficacy of leak code exercises, stating that they often measure the wrong metrics and create an artificial, stress-inducing situation that is far removed from the day-to-day -day realities of a developer's work. He points out that most developers regularly reference online resources, collaborate with peers, and use AI coding tools in their workflows. Furthermore, he argues that leak code exercises favor those who have the most free time to study, rather than those who are the most skilled or productive. Instead, Chen proposes using code reviews as a more effective way to evaluate candidates. He lists eight reasons why code reviews are superior, including their reflection of day-to-day -day activities, their ability to provide a more holistic view of a candidate's reasoning and communication skills, and their suitability for evaluating roles that involve more reading of code than writing. Chen also outlines several strategies for setting up code reviews, such as using actual parts of an active code base, intentionally introducing logical flaws to see if candidates can spot them, and focusing on best practices for more senior positions. 
he introduces his new project, CodeRev.app, a free tool designed to facilitate code reviews as interviews. In conclusion, Chen argues that as the industry increasingly relies on AI tools to generate code, the ability to read and review that code for correctness, best practices, and security becomes more important. He believes that replacing leak code with code reviews can help teams better measure candidates and prepare for this shift in software development. This article is significant as it challenges the status quo of technical interviews and proposes a more holistic and realistic approach to candidate evaluation. It also highlights the growing importance of code review skills in the age of AI-generated code. 2. Why decline in generalists leads to disjointed games and harms tool quality from GameWorldObserver.com. In an article penned by Yevgeny Obedkov for Game World Observer, Tim Kane, co-creator of the popular video game Fallout, discusses the decline of generalists in the gaming industry. A generalist, as Kane defines, is someone skilled in multiple disciplines, such as an artist who can also write or a producer who can code. Over the past two decades, Kane has observed a sharp decline in such professionals, attributing it to the industry's growth and the increasing complexity of modern games. Kane argues that the shift from generalists to specialists, while making business sense, has led to games filled with disjointed elements. He recalls how programmer generalists could understand and link different systems together, speeding up processes and reducing vague generalizations. Generalists, according to Kane, are also the best toolmakers as they understand what artists, musicians, or level designers are trying to do and can create tools that expose those controls in clear, easy ways to use. The decline in tool quality, Kane suggests, is a direct consequence of the decline in the number of generalists. He also introduces the concept of force multipliers, individuals who can improve the productivity of everyone on the team. Kane believes that only generalists can fill this role, and their absence in modern game development leads to games where individual elements are made in a vacuum, resulting in players never using certain features. In essence, Kane's argument underscores the importance of interdisciplinary knowledge in game development. The decline of generalists, he suggests, not only impacts the quality of tools but also the cohesion and functionality of the games themselves. This insight provides a fresh perspective on the evolving dynamics of the gaming industry and the potential implications of an overly specialized workforce. Part 8. Learn. 1. A 1990 experiment to test whether we could discern life on Earth remotely from nature.com. The article, How Would We Know Whether There Is Life on Earth? This bold experiment found out, discusses an experiment conducted by astronomer Carl Sagan 30 years ago. Sagan persuaded NASA to use the Galileo spacecraft's instruments to search for life on Earth as it passed by in 1990. The experiment was unique as it used Earth, a known habitat for life, to test if life could be detected remotely. Despite initial skepticism, the spacecraft detected signs of life on Earth. This experiment has influenced the scientific community's approach to searching for life on other planets, emphasizing that life should be the last inference drawn when observing something unusual on another planet. The article also discusses the challenges of interpreting data from the James Webb Space Telescope and a proposed framework for reporting evidence for life beyond Earth. The text also highlights Sagan's work in reshaping humanity's perception of its place in the cosmos, particularly through the pale blue dot image. The article is part of a larger discussion on planetary science, astronomy, astrophysics, and space physics. 2. The Mathematician Who Sculpted the Shape of Space from Quantumagazine.org The article The Mathematician Who Sculpted the Shape of Space by Steve Nadez, published in Quantum Magazine, pays homage to the influential mathematician Eugenio Calabi, who passed away at 100. Calabi is known for his original approach to mathematics and his significant contribution to string theory through his 1953 conjecture about a special class of manifolds, now known as Calabi-Yau manifolds. 
These manifolds, which have zero Ricci curvature and satisfy two topological conditions, became fundamental to string theory, a physics framework that suggests fundamental particles are composed of tiny vibrating strings. Despite this, Kalabi maintained his idea was strictly related to geometry. The article also details Kalabi's journey to becoming a mathematician, from majoring in chemical engineering to serving as a U.S. Army translator, before earning his doctorate in mathematics and settling at the University of Pennsylvania. 3. The 1924 Mackay Phone, the first pocket record player from rarehistoricalphotos.com. In the 1920s, long before the era of iPods and Spotify, music lovers had a different kind of portable device to carry their favorite tunes, the Mackay Phone. This pocket-sized phonograph, the brainchild of Hungarian siblings Miklos and Etienne Vadas, was a marvel of its time, allowing people to carry music in their pockets. The Mackay Phone was manufactured under a licensing agreement with Mason Pyart, a Swiss company with roots in watchmaking that had diversified into music boxes and later, phonographs. The company produced approximately 180,000 units of the Mackay Phone. Unlike today's battery-operated devices, the Mackay Phone relied on a hand crank for power and amplified sound through a resonator. Despite its compact size when closed, the device required some assembly. Its components, including the recording head and a two-piece Bakelite resonator, were stored within the case, which measured just 11.5 cm in diameter and 4.7 cm in thickness when shut. The Mackay phone was primarily designed to play 10-inch records, making it more of an entertainment device for gatherings than a portable companion for everyday errands. This innovative piece of engineering was awarded first prize at an international music exhibition in Geneva in 1927. The Mackay phone's invention underscores the human desire for portable entertainment, a trend that continues to this day with modern music devices. Its historical significance lies in its pioneering role in the evolution of portable music players. Part 9, Startup News 1. About half of Bandcamp employees have been laid off from The Verge.com. In a recent development, Bandcamp, the indie music platform, has laid off approximately half of its workforce. This move comes in the wake of Epic Games' sale of Bandcamp to Songtrader. The news was shared by the affected employees via social media. This layoff is part of a larger trend, as Epic Games had previously laid off 16% of its workforce, or 830 employees, due to what CEO Tim Sweeney described as overspending. The company also announced that it would sell Bandcamp to Songtrader, a California-based music licensing company. As part of this deal, an additional 250 people would be leaving Epic, either through receiving offers from Songtrader or through Epic's divestiture from its super-awesome ad business. Songtrader confirmed that 50% of Bandcamp employees have been extended offers to join Songtrader. However, it did not confirm if it would voluntarily recognize Bandcamp's union, which employees had won earlier this year, despite pressure from employees and the Bandcamp community. This development is significant as it reflects the ongoing turbulence in the tech labor market. The layoffs at Bandcamp, following those at Epic Games, highlight the challenges faced by tech companies in managing their workforce amidst business transitions. It also raises questions about the future of Bandcamp's union and the impact on the indie music platform's community. 2. LinkedIn is laying off nearly 700 employees from NPR.org. LinkedIn, the professional networking site owned by Microsoft, is laying off nearly 700 employees across its engineering, product, talent, and finance departments. This information was revealed in a company statement, marking the second round of layoffs this year, following the dismissal of 716 employees in May. The company attributes these layoffs to a restructuring effort aimed at streamlining decision-making processes. 
Despite reporting a 5% year-on-year revenue increase and surpassing $15 billion for the first time in its most recent quarterly report, LinkedIn noted shifts in customer behavior and slower revenue growth. The company's membership has grown for the past eight quarters, reaching over 950 million accounts. This move mirrors a trend in the tech industry, with companies like Amazon, Google, and Meta also experiencing mass layoffs. Earlier this year, Microsoft announced it was laying off 10,000 employees to cut costs, with CEO Satya Nadella attributing the decision to economic caution as parts of the world face or anticipate recession. In essence, this development underscores the volatility in the tech industry, even among successful companies. Despite impressive growth figures, LinkedIn's layoffs highlight the challenges of navigating shifting customer behaviors and economic uncertainties. 3. Microsoft completes $69 billion deal to buy Activision Blizzard from TheGuardian.com. The article discusses Microsoft's successful acquisition of Activision Blizzard for $69 billion, following approval from the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, CMA. Initially, the CMA had concerns about Microsoft dominating the cloud gaming market, leading to the deal being blocked. However, Microsoft revised the deal to include selling cloud gaming rights outside Europe to Ubisoft, which led to the CMA approving the deal. The CMA's chief executive, Sarah Cardle, criticized Microsoft's initial approach but acknowledged that the revised deal ensures competitive prices and better services for cloud gaming users. The article also mentions that despite the CMA's initial opposition, other regulatory bodies, including the EEU and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, had approved the deal. Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard is seen as a strategic move to penetrate the $90 billion mobile gaming market. 4. Waymo layoffs from Standard.com The article from the San Francisco Standard reports on Waymo, a robotaxi company, confirming its third round of layoffs for the year as part of an internal reorganization process. The exact number of affected employees is undisclosed, but it follows two previous rounds of layoffs earlier in the year. The company, owned by Alphabet, Google's parent company, had around 2,500 employees at the start of the year, with over 200 being laid off in the previous rounds. Another article discusses the ongoing insurance crisis in California, with an insurer of last resort receiving around 1,000 applications a day, indicating a surge in demand for insurance coverage due to increasing natural disaster risks. The crisis is also affecting other states, with a Bay Area insurance company exiting Arizona and Nevada. The website also features local business and startup news and offers various services to its readers, including newsletters and daily story rundowns. Part 10. Fun. 1. I built a virtual tabletop for playing Dungeons & Dragons from DiceWrite.com. DiceWrite is an online platform designed to simplify tabletop games. It offers a range of features aimed at reducing delays and enhancing the gaming experience. The platform is designed to keep track of simple things, alerting players when necessary to ensure smoother and faster gameplay. Dice, Wright's features include simple alerts that notify players when they need to take action, such as when they take damage or when it's their turn. This helps to keep the game moving with fewer delays. The platform also allows players to build characters level by level, making it easier to track character development and understand how certain stats or abilities were acquired. In addition to character building, Dice Wright offers dynamic lighting tools to add walls and lighting to any map. The platform also allows for extensive customization, enabling players to tailor everything about their campaign, from races and classes to currencies and languages. Combat is streamlined on Dice Wright, with automation of monotonous parts of combat such as determining hits and damage. The platform is accessible from any browser, requiring no installations and is optimized for mobile use. In essence, Dice Wright is a comprehensive tool for online tabletop gaming 
offering a range of features to enhance gameplay and player experience. Its significance lies in its potential to revolutionize the way tabletop games are played online, making them more accessible, engaging, and enjoyable. 2. Playing Pokemon Red with Reinforcement Learning from GitHub.com The GitHub repository Pokemon Red Experiments by user Pwitty is a project that uses reinforcement learning to play the game Pokemon Red. The repository is popular, with 4.4k stars and 305 forks, and is licensed under the MIT license. It contains various files and folders, each with a commit message indicating the latest updates. The repository allows users to interact with the project in various ways, including starring, forking, opening issues, and pull requests. The repository also provides instructions on running the pre-trained model interactively and on training the model. It warns that training the model can use up to 100G of RAM, but this can be decreased by adjusting certain variables. Users can also track training progress using the visualizeprogress.ipen notebook. The main contributors to the repository are Pwitty, Eltisir, Turamarth14, and Shurafshrest, and the main languages used are Jupyter Notebook and Python. 3. A typing game inspired by piano tiles from QuartaTiles.github.io. QuartaTiles is a simple, yet engaging web-based game that tests your typing speed. The game, accessible via the URL https colon slash slash quartatiles.github.io slash, presents a grid of letters arranged in the QWERTY keyboard layout. The objective is to type as quickly and accurately as possible, with your score and accuracy displayed on the screen. The game is straightforward, letters appear on the grid and the player must type them before they disappear. The faster and more accurately you type, the higher your score. The game ends when you miss too many letters. It's a test of both speed and precision, and it provides an immediate feedback loop that can help improve typing skills. The game's creator, who goes by the handle Apollonio, has also included a buy me a coffee link, suggesting that this is a passion project and any donations would be appreciated. In essence, QuartaTiles is a fun and practical tool for anyone looking to improve their typing speed and accuracy. It's a testament to the creative ways in which simple web-based games can be used for skill development. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to HackerCast.